Welcome to the preaching and teaching ministry of Mary and Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. Today we continue our sermon series we began the end of last fall called The Life of Jesus. And basically we're working our way through the Gospel of Luke. Four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those who wrote about Jesus' life. And we started out last fall, we worked our way all the way up to the Christmas story. We took a little break in January, we picked it back up again last week. And that's the course we're going to take over the next probably year and a half to two years. It's going to take us a while to get through Luke. We're going to work our way through. From time to time, we'll take a break and do something else and then get back to it. But I want to start today by kind of laying the groundwork. I'm going to ask you a question in a moment. But first of all, um, I don't know how many of you have ever studied philosophy. If you're like me, you probably studied it at some point and you don't remember that much about it. Maybe some of you love philosophy, but... Philosophers tell us, and I think we all experience, that every single human being wrestles with two major questions, and in some sense kind of wrestles with them their entire life. Those two questions are, who am I, and why am I here? Now, not who am I like I forgot my name, but who am I? You know, we spend a lot of our lives trying to define and even shape and become who we think we are. We see it in such issues as conformity, you know, peer pressure. We often think of that in terms of young people, but we all face peer pressure. Are we going to give in to the pressure of others or are we going to be ourselves? What does it mean to be myself? What is the self I want to be? What kind of person do I want? Who am I? And why am I here? How did it turn out that I'm here now, this time of history, born into the family I was born into? Is there some grand scheme of things, or is it all random chance? What is my purpose? What is my calling? And people pursue that in a number of ways, through occupations, through ministry, through passions. Who am I? What am I doing here? Why am I here? Issues of identity and purpose or calling. Now, I want us to apply that to Jesus. The story we're going to look at today in Luke chapter 2, we see Jesus maybe not wrestling with these issues, but showing that he has. Who was Jesus? Why was he here? And here's the question I want to ask you. When did Jesus know who he was? And when did he know what he had come to earth to do? Obviously, Jesus is unique. He's different from any other human being that has ever lived because he is God himself come to earth in the flesh. As we've already studied in the story of Luke, Mary conceived a child by the Holy Spirit. We saw the story last year, the angel Gabriel showing up and saying, Mary, you've been specially chosen by God. You are highly favored. You're going to bear the Son of God. And all these marvelous things were said. He's going to take the throne of his father, David. You know, he's going to save the, uh, the, the people from their sins. He's, he's going to be a mighty one. He's going to be a great one. And, and all these wonderful things. When was it that Jesus knew who he was? Because you see, it's very clear in Scripture. He was born as a baby. Now, he was God in the flesh, but it wasn't like he popped out of the womb and just started to have this intellectual conversation with Mary. Hey, Mary, thank you so much for being used by God. I know I'm God, and so let's get started. He was a regular baby in many ways. I say in many ways because he was God. He grew up as a regular child. You know, he never sinned. Can you imagine being Jesus' brother? You know, you think it's bad when you are compared to your brother or your sister. Why can't you be more like your brother? Why, you know, and Mary, Jesus' brothers. James, Jude, Simon. There's four brothers. I forget what the other one's name was. Why can't you be more like Jesus? He's perfect. It's like we know he is. <laughs> anyway, 
When was it Jesus realized? How did he realize who he was and what he came to do? Did Mary and Joseph talk to him about how he was conceived by the Holy Spirit? Did they sit down and have a chat with him or uh, over time a number of conversations about what the angel Gabriel had said about him? Probably. We don't know. Scripture doesn't doesn't say. How and when did he come to understand that he was God and that he had come to save the world through his death on a cross? Was there a growing awareness or was there some kind of revelation? (laughs) All these questions that we don't know for sure. But it's interesting to note that we do see in our story today that Jesus had come to an understanding, at least a basic understanding of who he was and at least part of what God wanted him to do. We don't know exactly when or how it happened, but obviously it did happen, and there's some clues in our passage today. Today, the title of our sermon is The Father's Plan. The Father's Plan. And we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 2, verses 39 to 52. And before I jump in and read that, let me give you two very interesting facts about today's story. The first fact is, fact is this, is this is the only story we have in the Bible about Jesus' childhood. Now, we do have the stories of his birth and the things that surround his birth. Just in Matthew, Matthew has a little bit. Luke has quite a bit. We've already talked about that. Last week, we wrapped up all that stuff after he was born. Then he was circumcised. He was named. They made the appropriate sacrifices and all that kind of stuff. And that's what we're going to pick up today. And after the story today, we jump all the way to where Jesus is about 30 years of age. And he comes out of obscurity to begin his ministry. And it begins with being baptized by John. We'll talk about that next week. Then the temptation in the wilderness. And then he jumps in, going around, traveling, gathering followers, preaching, teaching, healing, raising people from the dead. That last, that three, three and a half years of intense focus leading To the cross. So today is the only story about Jesus between those events of his birth and the beginning of his ministry. Now, there were a bunch of uh, documents, false gospels that were written long after Jesus was gone that tried to put a whole bunch of stories about Jesus' life, very interesting and unusual things. uh, Stories that, you know, when Jesus was a child living in Egypt, that he made some pigeons out of clay and then he caused them to come to life and just crazy stuff you know i I heard read one the other day that you know that that mary joseph somebody i don't know took some of the water that jesus had been bathed in and they used that to heal some crazy weird things but as far as what scripture says as far as what the gospels say this is the only story and i think it's there specifically because of what we're going to look at today the other interesting fact is that this story contains the first words of Jesus that we have recorded in Scripture. I'm sure he talked as early as any other child would talk. But when we look at the, red, the letters in red, you know, if you've got a red-letter Bible where they put the words of Jesus in red, this is the first thing that we have recorded that he said. Okay, so let's jump in and read the story. Then we're going to jump into what God wants to speak to us about today. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 39. This picks up where we left off last week. All these things they did when Jesus was born, circumcised and named and offered the offerings, all that kind of stuff. And when they, talking about Mary and Joseph, when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child, talking about Jesus, grew and became strong, filled with wisdom And the favor of God was upon him. So Jesus, as a baby, grew as a normal child would. Became strong, filled with wisdom, and God's favor. I would say that since Luke said that, that there was something that was obvious about this child, that God had a special touch on on his life. Going on, verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem, a trip of, I think, about 70 or 80 miles from Nazareth. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. There were three main feasts in the Jewish system of worship and in commemorating all the great things that God did. And he asked his people if they could um, and to make a major effort to be in Jerusalem for those three feasts. In fact, I think according to um, the law of the day, not in Scripture, if you lived within 15 miles, you had to be there. A lot of poor people couldn't afford to go three times a year, so they'd only go once. And this was the main one. This is the one that Lynn talked about earlier, Passover, okay? 
And so we see that Mary and Joseph are faithful to carry out the law of God the, 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 and to, 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 be, to participate in the worship of God that was established. So they went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when Jesus was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. Now, 12 years old is a very key age in the Jewish culture and in their customs. Okay, At this time in history, when a young man turned 12, they began a very intensive preparation time for spiritual things, but also for their occupation, because when they turned 13, they would celebrate that child becoming a man, to becoming a full-fledged son of Israel, okay, part of the covenant people. And at that time, he would be expected to be ready and fully engaged in, in, in launching into his occupation. So at 12, Jesus is at that time where there's been some preparation leading up to some education. He probably helped his dad, Joseph, in the carpenter shop from time to time. But this is now the year that he's supposed to really prepare for the future and to take his place. So when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, the whole feast was a whole week. As they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. And his parents didn't know it. You might say, how in the world could they not know it? They've got a 70, 80 mile journey. Well, because it was such a long journey, and because they went through dangerous places, whole cities, definitely whole families and family clans and big groupings of people, whole cities and towns would all travel together for protection, for fellowship, to make the long trip seem to go quicker. You think it takes a while to drive a couple hundred miles in your car. How do you want to walk 70 to 80 miles? It took about three days. And probably the women are all talking together, the men are all talking together, and, and we don't know for sure, but probably Joseph thought Jesus was with Mary, or Mary thought jo- Jesus was with Joseph, or maybe they both thought he was hanging out with his friends in this big group. They didn't know he was with the group. His parents didn't know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. So it's time to settle down for the night. Let's have dinner. Where's Jesus? Usually shows up for dinner time. Searching among the people, can't find Jesus. Verse 45. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. This shows that Jesus was very mature for his age. He was very wise. He had a lot of knowledge. He probably picked up a lot of that from his parents, other people that were part of his community. Whether he had any direct revelation, we don't know. The temple was the place where people would go to offer sacrifices, the place where people would go to worship, but it was also the place to go when you wanted to learn. A lot of the religious leaders and the scholars and the rabbis, which means the teachers, would be in the temple courts, which were humongous. You could have any number of groups of students around different teachers, and they would, uh, you know, they would be communicating. They would be learning. And especially during the feast, people would come and say, hey, this is a great time for me to hear Rabbi Gamaliel or, or some other famous teacher. And the way they would teach is they would do like we would think of and just kind of put it out there. But many times they would ask questions and have the students answer. And the students would ask questions and the teacher would answer. And they would discuss it. And it says that Jesus in the midst of this would answer questions. He also asked some questions. And the religious leaders and the religious scholars of the day were amazed at how much knowledge and wisdom he had for a young man his age. Verse 48. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him what every mother would say. Son, why have you treated us like this? Why did you do this? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. The words that are used there are very strong words like, I'm having a panic attack. You know, I don't know, and you don't have to confess. I don't know if any of you parents have ever lost a child. I see some people laughing like, yep, I relate. You know, you left them behind somewhere, they wandered away, whatever, you know. Uh, you, you know. But can you imagine Mary 
oh no, I've lost God's son. That just came to me this last week. <laughs> you know, losing your child's bad enough, but to lose God's son. Anyway, it just struck me as kind of funny. But anyway, they, they were in great distress. What happened to Jesus? And especially knowing what a special child he was. So anyway, we've been searching for you in great distress. Verse 49, and this is the key to the whole story. And these are the words, the first words that we have recorded in the scripture that Jesus said. And Jesus said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Now, some translations say, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? And, and both of those ideas and concepts are there because in the Greek, it literally says, let me look it up here. I got it right here. In the Greek, it literally says, did you not know that I must be my father? Not my father, but my father's. There is did you not understand that I had to be in my father's whatever? It was an idiom. It was a saying that was common. And it meant in their place, where they were present, uh, you know, doing what they wanted them to do. So that's kind of the idea that's here. Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to him, to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart, verse 52, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. It's, it's key, I think, that Luke starts this, this, this passage with the fact that Jesus grew and developed and matured, and he ends it the same way, because that's what he's trying to point at. Jesus came as a baby. He's going to be the savior of the world, but in the middle of that, in the process, he grew and he developed. And my personal opinion is, is that whatever age he was, he was probably at the most fully developed, the full capacity of his intellect, of his spiritual understanding, of his spiritual devotion was at the fullest capacity because he's God at that age and stage of his life. But he increased in wisdom and in stature, mentally, physically, spiritually, in favor with God and man, growing in his relationship with God as father, but also having great relationships with the people that were around him. So we see that Jesus grew and developed in every way. And they had this episode when he turned 12 in the temple. And his response is, why were you looking for me? Didn't you understand I needed to be about what the father wanted me to be about? Needed to be in his house. I need to be taking care of business. So let's talk about these two questions that we all wrestle with. And that Jesus, whether he wrestled with it or not, he had to deal with it. Okay, the first one is who am I? Who am I? As Jesus grew up and was wrestling with this question, what would his answer be? His answer was that Jesus was the son of his father. That's a simple answer, the logical answer, but you have to understand Jesus had two fathers, at least by name. Joseph wasn't his literal physical father, but yet he functioned as an earthly father, and I believe he probably looked to him as a father or a father figure. So Jesus had Joseph. He was known as the son of Joseph. But he also had his heavenly father. You see, he literally was the son of God. Not just some kind of spiritual sense. Not just in the sense that we would say, well, I'm a child of God. We're going to get to that yet today, too. It's an important key to what God wants to say to us today. But he literally was the son of God. And this story indicates that Jesus knew that God was his father at this time in his life. Because this is not something that Jewish people would say at this time in history. They wouldn't say something about God being their father and they were busy about their father's business or in their father's house. He was God, okay? He was the Lord. So when Jesus said, I must be about my father's business, I must be in my father's house, I must be doing what God, what my father wants me to do, that the fact that he claimed this as father, it shows that at that time in his life, he did understand that God, in a very special, specific way, was his father. Now, in wrestling with that question, getting past Jesus, we deal with us. Who am I? 
as I said in the beginning of the message, we all struggled at different levels with that question. And as we grew and matured and developed and plotted and planned our lives and made decisions that formed us into the people that we've become character-wise, things we've said, things we've done, we've read, who am I and who do I want to be? Well, what is the question based on this story? Who am I? Who are you? Can I tell you that you're the child of your father? You're like, well, duh, that's obvious. You're the son of your father. You're the daughter of your father. And that is very, very true of your biological father, whether you know who they were or not, whether you're close to them or you're not. And I've said many times, maybe you didn't have a relationship with your biological, or a very good relationship with your biological father, and I'm really sorry about that, but you did have a biological father. But the good news... The good news of the gospel is that God will be your father if you know Jesus Christ as your savior. I've said this many times. People got this mistaken idea. Well, isn't God the father of everybody? No, he is not. God is the creator of everybody. But he's the father of only those who have put their trust and their faith in Jesus Christ for their salvation as we celebrated in communion this morning. We find that in John chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, Jesus came to his own, talking about his own people, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The people who have become children of God, sons of God, daughters of God, which includes most everybody in this room. I don't know for sure, but I know most of you, okay? It's because we have accepted him. We have received him. We have believed in his name. What does that mean? It's not something so simple as, well, I believe that there was this man named Jesus. Okay? A person's name even today, but even much more so in biblical times, represented that person. Everything that they were, everything that they are, who they were, what they stood for, and what they accomplished. So when you... See that in Scripture, talking about believing in the name of Jesus. It means to believe in what Scripture reveals to be true about him and what he accomplished, which would mean to believe that he truly is God come in the flesh. And he came not just to be a good teacher or a good example, but he came specifically to die on a cross that the price of our sins could be paid. And we believe that that took place because of what he did, and we're putting our faith and our trust in him and what he did instead of in ourselves. Let me just pause right here, right now, that if you are here today, or if you're watching online, the recording later, watching or listening, and you have never taken that step, maybe you just thought you were good because you go to church, or you believe in God, and you believe in Jesus, you believe this, you know, James tells us that the demons believe all the right things. (laughs) They believe Jesus is God. They believe he died for sins, but they're not going to heaven. They don't have salvation. They believe and they tremble because they know what their end result is. So to put it a little bluntly, if you think you're going to get into heaven because you have faith that you believe in Jesus, but you're not really putting your trust in him, you just have the same faith as a demon. Which I wouldn't say is real significant faith. But get back to what I was saying. If you're here today, you're watching online, you're watching or listening later, and you've not stepped over that line, you've not turned over the control, you've not, so many different, so many different uh, pictures can be put there of surrendering your life to Christ, recognizing your sin, asking him to forgive you based on what he's done, not what you can do, and putting your trust in him. I challenge you and I encourage you to do that today. And can I tell you, That if you do that, and those of us that have done that, we still have to wrestle a little bit with who am I in the sense of, well, who am I now? How did I get here? Where do I want to be? What kind of person do I want to be? Because if you're like me, there's still a lot of things you're working on on the inside. Okay? So we still have to wrestle with that to some degree, but we have the greatest assurance that at the foundational level, who am I? I am a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. I have a heavenly father. Who am I? You're a child of your father. Let's deal with the second question. Why am I here? Why am I here? Again, 
We don't know how and what process Jesus went through to deal with this question in his life, but as he grew and as a baby, not really aware of much around him except he's hungry and wants to sleep or whatever, you know, and then growing into a toddler and, and a child and, you know, all into, you know, growing in the understanding of who he was, began asking questions, why am I here? Again, if Mary and Joseph had the conversations with him about, hey, this is what happened. I know this sounds really strange. This is the way it is for everybody else. But this angel showed up, and you're a very special child. And the angel said, you're going to be. And can you imagine, a, you know, at what age would a child be ready to hear something like that? And then how would God reinforce that in their life? But any, in any case, Jesus went through that process some way, shape, or form, either gradually or by revelation, whatever. And he had to deal with, why am I here? Why am I here? And when did he realize? Was it a growing realization? Well, I'm here from God. God's my father. He's got something special he wants me to do. And then through the course of his life and maybe the course of, that God revealed that it was going to involve his death on a cross. Or did he know that even way back at age 12? We, we don't know for sure. But he did know when he needed to know. We do know that he knew at least really early in the three and a half years he's traveling with his disciples. Because scripture records he told them three, four, five times. Eventually, we're going to go to Jerusalem one last time. And when we go, I'm going to be betrayed. I am going to be mistreated by the religious leaders. I'm going to be mistreated by the Romans. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die. But on the third day, I'm going to rise again. The disciples didn't understand it. They couldn't comprehend it. They thought he was coming as the Messiah to set up God's kingdom. That Jesus must just be confused or I'm not understanding him. But he did know at that point. But in this story here, he says specifically that at that time, he was there to be in his father's house, to be about his father's business, to carry out his father's plan. Now think about this. What was his father's business? It depends on which father you're talking about. Remember, he had two fathers. He had Joseph, who wasn't his biological father, but he looked up to as a father who functioned as his father, and his father's business was being a carpenter. And I never even thought about this until this week when I'm studying this. You know what? When Jesus said, I have to do my father's business, he did both of them. Because there's every indication that when he went from his 12th year into his 13th year, he became a carpenter. And he served as one for the next 17 years. This is the last story we have where Joseph is mentioned. So many people believe that at some point, we don't know when, that Joseph died. Jesus is the eldest son. He took over as the head of the home. And he's carrying out the father's business of carpentry. But when the time came for him to go into his other father's business full time, he left that behind and began his ministry. Now, let me be very quick to say here that someone would, would probably want to latch onto that and say, okay, well, you know what? I'm going to commit my life to Christ. I'm going to really start to live for him somewhere down the road. Right now, I'm just going to do my own thing. I'm going to keep traveling the road I've already started on, the one I've already planned for, just like Jesus did, you know. He, he didn't really do what God wanted him to do until he became 30 years old. Well, I'll wait till later on to really do what God wants me to do until then I'm going to do my own. That's not what Jesus did, he did what God wanted him to do all along. It's just that God wanted him to follow in his earthly, so-called father's footsteps for a while. I think it was so he could finish his preparation, so he could take care of Mary and his family, until so the other children had grown and they could take over that responsibility. But it was all part of God's plan. So yes, he was carrying on in Joseph's footsteps, but while he was doing that, he was already doing what his heavenly father wanted him to do. So Joseph was his, uh, his, his, his um, so-called father. He did do that for a while, carpentering. But we see that God is his true father. And God is God. And we see that Jesus was involved in doing God's business, his stuff, carrying out his plan his entire life. I did a study one time, and I, I think I, did, I taught a study on it um, here one time. In the Gospel of John, this is one of the main themes of the Gospel of John, is that Jesus was sent from God to accomplish specific things, all part of God's big plan, and Jesus was diligent to do that, and he made it very, very clear. Let me just run through it really quickly for you. We're not going to spend a lot of time with this. But the Gospel of John talks about how Jesus was specifically sent by his Father to accomplish this special plan. 
Jesus, in the Gospel of John, says 33 times that he was sent by his Father. You can see why it's a theme. John doesn't even have 33 chapters. But Jesus is constantly emphasizing and mentioning in conversation and teaching that he had been sent by the Father. It involved his message, his ministry of healing and teaching and all that, but especially dying on the cross to pay for the forgiveness of my sins. And since that's the case, let me give you a couple little things here. Number one, Jesus' goal was to please his Father. God had sent him specifically to accomplish his plan, so his goal was to please his Father. John 8, 29 says, Jesus speaking, And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. He mentions that again in John 5.30. So Jesus' goal was to please his father. The second thing is Jesus did what his father wanted him to do. Now, that's an natural outgrowth. He wants to please his father, so he's going to do what his father wants him to do. In John 6.38, he says, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. That's just one of seven places in John where Jesus specifically says, I have come not to do anything on my own. I've come to do what my Father wants me to do. Another natural outgrowth is number three. Jesus said what his Father wanted him to say. He didn't just do what he wanted him to do. He said what he wanted him to say. Again, there's seven times in the Gospel of John where Jesus specifically said that God was behind what he said. And by the way, if you want to dig into this more, you want the actual scripture verses, just email me, text me, whatever, and I'll send them to you. But I want to read one of them. John chapter 12, verses 49 to 50. Jesus says, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. You say, now wait a minute, it's not saying the same thing? Well, in their idiom, what they mean is what they say, what, what to say, and how to say it. You know, sometimes how you say something is almost just as important as what you say. It says, my Father who sent me has given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. He says, you know what? What I say is based on God's commandment to me, and it will result in eternal life. I mean, this is, this is important So I need to do it right. So I say what the Father wants me to say. And the fourth and last thing is Jesus finished what his Father gave him to do. Jesus finished what the Father gave him to do. You know, the night he was betrayed, uh, there's one of the longest prayers we have of Jesus. And he's praying for his followers, his followers then. He actually prays for us today. He prays for all of his followers that will come. He prays about the fact that he's leaving this world and going back to the Father and a number of other things. But in that prayer, in John 17, verse 4, he's talking to God. He says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Now, I know he hadn't died yet, but I think he knows it's a done deal. It's going to happen. I've done everything you've told me to do up to this point, and we're going to finish it out strong. In fact, we find in John 19.30, as he is on the cross, just before he dies, he says, it is finished. He finished what his father gave him to do. Now, think about this. It wouldn't happen because Jesus was God, and there's no other way he would have gone. But what if Jesus had lived just for himself, using his power, his influence, his people, skills, you know, easy to get along with, all that kind of stuff. What if he had done all that just to fulfill his own desires? Whatever those might be. Desires that he had as a human being. You know, the Bible says he faced every type of temptation we face. What if he had used all that just for himself? Well, obviously he didn't, he wouldn't. But the reason I bring the question up is to face the fact that isn't that mostly what we do? You know, isn't that how we live our lives, at least if we're left to ourselves, if we don't make a conscious effort to do something else. We use whatever power, influence, resources, people, skills to fulfill our desires. A question for all of us to think about, and I'd like to believe in this room and among those of you that are watching, that uh, this is something we've already wrestled with, so we're dealing with this, but how often do we compare what we say and what we do with what we know or think that God wants us to say and do. 
Hopefully, if we've known the Lord for any amount of time and we're growing in that relationship, this is something we're aware of, and so we're really trying to do that. I want what I do to be what God wants me to do. I want what I say to line up with what God wants me to say, but I don't know about you, but as a human being, it's so easy to kind of slip into the old patterns of, well, I'm going to do my own thing, you know? This is what I want to do right now. This is what I want to say. You know, this is how I want to react to the situation. But really, is that a fair question? Because, I mean, Jesus was God's son. He came specifically to do all this stuff and to die on the cross. We're not God's son in that way. So is this really a fair question? Well, I would ask you what makes us any different other than the fact that we're not God. Do we think that God sent Jesus with a special purpose, but he doesn't have a special purpose for us? I'll be honest with you, that'd be kind of sad to me. So as we talk about this question, why am I here, and we look at ourselves, I can just say that I can only speak for myself. And I'll just say I don't do it perfectly, but I want to accomplish my Father's plan. And I'm talking about my Heavenly Father's plan. And that is the challenge that's before us today. Is that our attitude? Is that our desire? Is that our heart? Or as we wrestle with the question of why am I here, well, I think I'm here to make a lot of money. Some people, I think I'm here to make a bunch of people miserable. I'm here to do a bunch of good. You know, I, I've got this calling. I, you know, and all those things are great, and they can be led by God, and God can use them. But ultimately, why am I here? I want to accomplish my Father's plan. You know, the plans God has for us to accomplish can't even begin to compare to what he had for Jesus, because Jesus was God. And he came specifically to redeem the world through his death on the cross. I don't know about you, but I'm so glad that God didn't send me to die on a cross the way Jesus died on a cross, although many of his followers did. And he does ask us to take up our cross, be willing to do whatever comes our way as we carry out his plan for us and follow him. But even though the plans of God for us can't compare to what Jesus accomplished, they're very much more important sometimes than I think we recognize. Not just for God's kingdom, but also for our personal lives. From time to time, we have the privilege of dedicating babies. And there's something I include. I use different scriptures, different thoughts, you know, same general idea. But there's one phrase I always try to incorporate into a baby dedication, and that is this. God has a purpose for this child's life. If he or she finds it and lives it, he will have success. But if he or she refuses it or ignores it, the result will be failure. Maybe not in the eyes of the world, but it will be failure. So parents, your responsibility as parents is to raise your child in such a way that he or she will make the will of God his highest ambition. And that's so true. For those who choose not to have a relationship with God or pursue anything about God, they can have all kinds of worldly success. But when they lay on that, lie on that grave, what difference does it make? But if we choose to follow God, maybe we won't have so much worldly success. Maybe we won't be all that rich according to what standard, though. We're all rich compared to the rest of the world or most of the rest of the world. But if we're following Jesus Christ, he's our Savior, he's our Lord, we're trying to carry out God's plan for our lives. It has eternal significance. Implications, consequences. I've said this many times. I believe it with all my heart. I usually say it to young people, but it's true for every single one of us. God's plan for you is much better than any plan you can think of for yourself. God made you. He's the one that put all that is good that is in you. Now, sin has twisted some of that, but all the the good desires, all the giftings and abilities, and maybe that, that yearning to apply yourself in a certain area, a certain occupation, a certain field of study, that's one of the ways that God can guide us and lead us in the plan he has for us. God's plan for you is much better than any plan you can come up with for yourself. So here's the challenge. Here's the challenge. Follow the example of Jesus in this story. Not by going to the cross, except to kneel there and surrender your life. Follow the example of Jesus. Make pleasing your father your goal. Do what God wants you to do. Say what God wants you to say. 
Now, I know that opens up all kinds of questions. Well, how do I know what God wants me to do? How do I know what God wants me to say? And can I tell you that that's just our part, part of our process for the rest of our lives of growing in relationship with him, of seeking him, of, of learning what he pleases him and how that manifests itself in our lives. But I can tell you that that indicates how important God's word is because that's the primary way he's going to speak to us. The more we are involved in God's word, whether it's reading it, I know some people don't like to read it, they can't read very well, or listening to it, studying it on your own, being in a setting like this, or a Bible study, men's group, women's group, watching good, godly, on-target videos on YouTube, whatever it might be, however we take in on Right Now Media that we make available to all of you, you know, however we take in God's word, the key of it is not just that, oh, we're supposed to know God's word, but it's what gives us guidance and leading for every area of life because God gives us principles and instructions for every significant area of life. Relationships, marriage, parenting, finances, sexuality, all those things. And yes, it's a process. It does raise the question that people often wrestle with. How can I find God's will? We've taught that topic before, a whole series, and we'll do it again. And I'm not going to kind of try to summarize all that in in, in what little time we have left in this message. But I do want to tell you the very first step and the most crucial step to finding God's will for your life. And it's this. Do what you already know he wants you to do. I'll be honest with you. I think we struggle enough just doing what we know we're supposed to do, much less trying to figure out what else God wants us to do. And why should God, why would God reveal anything else to you if you're not already doing what you're supposed to be doing? So that's all I'm going to say about that right now. There's lots of good studies on finding God's will. I already mentioned God's word. But do what you already know what he wants you to do. Now, one last question that may come to mind. If I commit myself to following God's plan and accomplishing his purposes and all that kind of stuff, who's going to take care of me? Now, maybe we are too spiritual to express that out loud. But it's like, if I'm totally committed to God and trying to, who's going to take care of me? Can I tell you, God promises that he will. He will. Here's the good news. When I follow my father's plan, he takes care of me. And can I tell you, he takes care of you a lot better than you would take care of yourself. Now, by that, I don't mean you're going to be richer if you serve God than if you don't. Or that you're never going to have any problems or anything like that, because that's not true. But God will take care of you, and he will do a much better job than you can. Two quick things, and then we're going to wrap it up. So, worship team, you can come in the next couple of minutes. Number one, God meets my needs. When I put him first, he's promised to meet every need I have. Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, at the end of a passage where Jesus says, why are you worried about life? Why are you worried about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear, all the basic needs and necessities and all that kind of, why are you worried about that? If God is your father, don't you think he's going to take care of you? Takes care of birds, takes care of flowers. He's certainly going to take care of his kids. And Jesus wraps that up by saying this in Matthew 6, 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And was God's plans and purposes. Let's see God's work done here, and I want to live the way he wants me to live. That's what righteousness is all about. I want to do the right thing. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. He says, all your needs will be met. But you know what? God not only meets our needs, but he blesses us so far above that. The second thing is this, God fulfills my desires. I'm not talking about your fleshly desires, I'm not talking about your sinful desires. But those things that are good and true and line up with all that is godly, God will give those to you. Now, I don't mean your wish list. But in Psalm 37, 4, it says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. What that is really saying is if you really delight yourself in God, if you're really committed to him, and God, you know what, I'm yours. I just want to live for you. I want to do what you want me to do. I want to say what you want me to say. Just guide me and lead me. If that's our heart, our desires will be such that they'll be godly. And and that which we most desire, God will make sure it happens. God will make sure it happens. And so we have to balance our life with God's plan. But just like the example of Jesus, Jesus was a carpenter until he was 30. Then he launched into his ministry. But all along... 
He was doing what God wanted him to do. And in the same way, God doesn't call every single one of us to quit our jobs, drop out of school, and go start preaching on street corners or any other definition of ministry you might have. God calls us to live our lives as he directs us. And as we live those lives, whatever it is that we're pursuing in school, whatever occupation that we're pursuing, whatever it is that we're doing in our retirement, as we live those lives, we're saying, God, here's my life. This is where you want to change direction? Show me and I'll go the other different direction. But in the midst of this, Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to do it? What do you want me to say? How do you want me to respond to this situation? How do you want me to solve this problem? What do you want me to do with my money, with my marriage, with my finances, my relationship, with my work, with my school? Lord, what is your plan for me? I challenge you today. Rejoice in the fact that God is your father, if he is. And make it your goal to fulfill his plan in your life. Be God's agent in your world in your family, in your school, in your workplace, in your community, in your church, in your ministry. We said this earlier, the challenge is to follow the example of Jesus. Just like Jesus, know that God's called you for a purpose. Make pleasing the Father your goal. Do what God wants you to do. Say what God wants you to say. And I'm going to add one last one and we're wrapping this up. Plan to leave this life having finished what God gave you to do. Jesus, in that prayer, he said, God, I've accomplished your purposes. On the cross, he said, it is finished. We will never fully accomplish everything that God probably has planned for us because we're frail, we sin, we wander. But make it your goal. To leave this life having finished what God gave you to do. There's a scripture I often read at memorial services or gravesides when it applies. And it's something Paul said when he was at the end of his life. He says, the time of my departure has come. So I know I'm going to die. So he put to death for his faith. I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. I don't know about you, but when I get to the end of my life, I want to be able to say those words. I won't be able to say I've done it perfectly because I haven't. But I want to be able to say, you know what? I fought the good fight. I, I finished the race. Because you see, when I stand before God, I want to have him say to me what he says to some people in a story Jesus told in Matthew 25. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. You see, we can pursue our own way our entire life, amass great fortunes and big houses and fancy cars and all kinds of stuff. We can be well-known, popular, powerful, authority. And when we lie in that grave and stand before God, what will it mean? Well, if that was God's plan for your life, great. But if that was ignoring God's plan for your life and pursuing your own, You spent those 70, 80, 90 years just for those 70, 80, 90 years. And now you have all eternity in front of you. So I challenge you. Follow the example of Jesus. Make pleasing the Father your goal. And whatever that means in your life. Let's all stand together. Just a couple of moments, our worship team is going to lead us in a song. But first of all, I just want to say this. If you are here today, maybe you're watching online or the recording later, and you have not surrendered your life to Christ. Maybe you go to church, maybe you try to do good things, you read your Bible, you pray, you give to good causes, you give to God's kingdom, whatever it is that you might do, you just try to live a good life, but you have never put your trust in Christ as your Savior based on what he did on the cross. And today's your day. I just want to ask you, if that's you and today you would like to say, I want to surrender my life to Christ, would you just lift your hand up? Anybody? Some people may be lifting it up at home, but I can't see it, but that's okay. Today is the day you want to surrender your life to Christ. All right. All right. How many of you would say, I want to live my life to please God? 
I want to follow his plan. Most of you have your hands up. I know you've already been doing it. Maybe some of you are lifting up for the first time. I want to invite you, if you're comfortable to do so, to come down front as we sing this song, as a step of commitment, say, God, once again, I'm a fresh and anew. I'm committing my life to you. And I want to serve you, and I want to love you, and I want to do what you want me to do. Worship team, lead us in the song. Let's join together down here and just begin to seek God and say, God, here I am. I'm surrendering. In Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, you see the response of your people. Those that are here, those that may be in their homes or wherever they are watching or listening to this. To say, God, we want to love you and serve you with all of our heart. We want to follow your plans. We believe your plans are better than ours. We believe that if we pursue you, you're going to meet every need. God, as we make that commitment afresh and anew today, or maybe for some, for the very first time, Lord, maybe some have known you and Savior, but they've been kind of just doing their own thing and following you. But today, it's like, you know what? I'm going to make a concerted effort to really just try to follow Jesus and live the life he has for me, Lord God. Wherever we are in that process, we pray that you'd help us. God, give us wisdom and insight. Show us what your plan is in general, Lord God. As we face certain circumstances, especially problems, Lord God, with people or circumstances, show us how we're supposed to respond, what we're supposed to do about it, what we're supposed to trust you for. Use us in our world to help people see Jesus and what he can do for them and to be willing to even talk about that when you lead us to do so. Father, I pray that we would be great representatives, great ambassadors of Jesus in our world. And God, I thank you that with confidence we can say, God, your way is best. God, I know that if I follow you, you're going to take care of me. God, I know your plan for me is better than my plan for me. And God, I thank you that it's going to make a difference for all eternity. It isn't how I'm going to get to heaven. That's already settled because of what Jesus did on the cross. But Lord, you make it clear in your word that the way we serve you here makes a tremendous difference in what we experience in eternity as far as rewards and responsibilities and, and pleasing you. God, help us when it's tough, when we don't feel like doing the right thing. Help us when we'd much rather do what our flesh tells us than what your word tells us. And I know you will. And God, I pray that you'd help each of us to make sure we have that time spent with you to grow in relationship to, and, and to learn more about your word and, and what you think about everything in life and God I thank you for that I thank you Lord you don't expect us to be perfect tomorrow we're all growing just as Jesus grew and developed from a baby into the man he became in stages Lord we're all growing into the men and women you want us to become and you're going to help us every step of the way and we thank you for that God I pray that as we leave this place today walk out into our world we do so empowered by you encouraged by you ready to do whatever you lay on our heart, knowing you're going to use it for our good, for your glory, and to help other people. We give you the glory, the honor, and the praise. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. If you want to continue to pray for a while, you're welcome to. God bless you. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org.